Open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4, please. I anticipated this being our last sermon from Malachi, but it's going to be the first half of the last sermon uh, because there's too much too much that we need to go through here to, to, to speed over it. Next week we'll be doing something different uh, on Father's Day, and then we'll finish this up the week after Father's Day. I ran across the last words from some famous people spoken just before they died. From Douglas Fairbanks Sr., I've never felt better. From Thomas Jefferson, this is the fourth? From Dominique Bohers, a French grammarian, I am about to, or I am going to, die. Either expression is acceptable. From James Rogers, a murderer about to be executed by the firing squad, in response to the question, do you have any last requests? Why, a bulletproof vest, of course. <laughs> From General John Sedgwick of the Union Army during the Civil War, just before he died, he said, they couldn't hit an elephant at this dis." From the famous French atheist philosopher Voltaire, I am abandoned by God and man, I shall go to hell. And from author H.G. Wells, go away, I'm all right. While these are the, the final words of the Old Testament that we are coming to here today, They are also the final word about sin, about the end of sin, and about the end of unbelief on the earth. We've come to Malachi 4, which is the end of the Old Testament revelation. It's not the end of the Old Testament period. That didn't end until Jesus died on the cross. But this is the last word of God to mankind in that period that's written down for us. And it tells us about the end of sin. Follow as we read from Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the sole of your feet on the day that I do this says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse." 
This is a hard passage. I don't mean hard to understand. I mean harsh. It's, it's, it's like the rest of Malachi. It sort of hits you over the head. And then while you're holding on to that sore spot, it hits you again. God has chosen at the end of this book and at the end of the Old Testament to tell us about the end of time. One of the principles of understanding the Scripture that you need to understand is that by God's inspiration, the full content of truth on any doctrine is spread throughout Scripture. There's no place in the Scripture where you can go, for instance, here and read about the day of the Lord and read everything about the day of the Lord. God decided to reveal Scripture differently. Romans 6.23 is an interesting example of this. Um, In Romans 6.23, he puts two doctrines right next to each other. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He didn't say everything there was to be said about sin. He didn't say everything there was to say about salvation. But he saw fit to put those two together. God doesn't give us propositional theology lessons. He gives us life theology lessons. And this is exceptionally true in regard to prophetic truth or truth about the future, things that have not unfolded yet. Things that have not unfolded yet to Malachi's day, things for us that are still yet future. Um, No singular Old Testament prophet nor any individual apostolic writer of Scripture in the New Testament was given all of the truth on any subject. God spread it throughout the Bible. Um, They were given parts of that truth that were needed to communicate to that flock at that time. And that's what God did for Malachi. God gave Malachi some of the truth about the day of the Lord uh, in the hope of motivating the people of that day to live righteously. Uh, God willing, we're going to learn some of those same facts about the future and how they ought to motivate us today. This is the illustration that we created uh, a couple, two or three weeks ago as we talked about the second coming of the Lord. In Malachi chapter 3, he talks specifically about the coming of the Lord to establish righteousness. He emphasizes that element. He's talking about the same time period here in Malachi 4, but he's talking about different events. Um, This diagram essentially is on the back of your notes in your bulletin. If that will help you, we are going to add some things to this today. We start with Malachi's day. He talks about the, the coming of the Messiah and, and my messenger who's going to come. And we're going to talk more about John the Baptist at the, at the second half of this message as we talk about Elijah. He prepared the way for Christ. Christ ministered. Then he died, was buried, rose again, and ascended back to heaven where he is today. That is the first coming of Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about the second coming and said, when was the first coming? Well, <laughs> that was the first coming. And then we have this period of time that we are living in now, the church age. It is an an undetermined length uh, quantity of time. We know that we are going to be here until the Lord takes us off of the planet in an event that we've come to refer to as the rapture. It's told told to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 
when he says that the Lord will descend from, a hev- from heaven and those of us who are alive will be caught up with him. But just before we are caught up, the bodies of all believers who have died before that time, their body will be resurrected. And that is the point at which all of those believers get their glorified body, as do we get our glorified body if we are the ones who are alive and we are caught up. The Latin word rapture, it's come into our English, the Latin word that's come into English as rapture, means to be caught up. And that's literally what 1 Thessalonians 4 says. We'll be caught up into heaven to be with the Lord forever. After that time period comes what we call the, the, Jacob's, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation. We're going to talk more about that today. The thousand year reign of Christ, the final rebellion, and so on. God did not give all of that truth to Malachi. And I understand that. But the reason we're covering the broader picture today is so you can understand how the particular truth that Malachi was allowed by God to bring forth, how that fits into the big picture. If you don't understand the big picture, the small details don't make as much sense. So what is the description of the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord. You see this little phrase on the bottom of your picture there. He uses that phrase in Malachi chapter 4. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. When God says something is dreadful, that I get your attention. If I say something is dreadful, what that means is the mattress was lumpy. You know, cheesecake didn't quite have enough cheese in it or something. It was dreadful, you know. But when God says something is dreadful, it ought to really get our attention. God doesn't say this is going to be easy or or, or anything close to that. He says it's going to be dreadful. Uh, What is the description of the day of the Lord? Throughout this passage, actually going back to chapter 3, verse 17, he talks about this day of the Lord. Now, one of the things you need to immediately remember is when God talks about a day, he's not always, sometimes, he's talking about 24 hours. Sometimes he's talking about a period of time. And this is one of those times. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming. What does God say about the day of the Lord? He says, it's coming. In Malachi's day, it was still a future event. He says, Malachi, there is a day coming, and he goes on to describe it. I believe, as in point two of your notes, that it is still future to us. And in point three, I have said there are two basic views about the future of this event to Malachi's day. And the first one is this, that it refers to what happened in A.D. 70 to Jerusalem. What happened then? Do do you know that? the Romans finally got tired of all of the constant uprising and fussing around of the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and they came in and squashed it. They burned the city. They killed people. Everybody was dispersed. The Jewish people were dispersed. The Christians were dispersed. They all fled. They ran away so they wouldn't be killed. Some of them left before it happened because they saw it coming, if you will. They, they They were aware of what was going on. And it was a great and dreadful day. 
And so there are people who believe that that was the day of the Lord, and we are now living in the time, either the time that's going to be described here, or some people believe that Jesus Christ is ruling from his throne in the kingdom now, and we are in the kingdom of God. Now, some of you right away, boy, I apologize to my Sunday school class because I stretched their minds beyond belief this morning, and I'm going to stretch them some more. But you're, you're used to being stretched now. You've been exercising for a while. Some of you are saying, oh, wait a minute. Well, well, of course I'm in the kingdom of God. There's two elements to the kingdom of God you need to think about. Is God the king of the universe? Is God the king of the universe? Yes. Is there any doubt about that? Has there ever been any doubt about that? No. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in God's kingdom. Okay? But the kingdom we're going to talk about today is the kingdom in which Jesus Christ sits on the throne of David at Jerusalem and rules the earth with a rod of iron. Does that appear to be going on today? I don't think so. And the reason that I would suggest to you that this event is still future to us is because the events of A.D. 70 do not match what God told us about this day, and the rule of Jesus Christ does not match what God has told us about His rule. Now today, we're only going to go halfway. We're only going to go halfway because Malachi has two emphases here, and the first emphasis that he uses is the punishment of the wicked, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I like to keep things balanced. I like to talk about the, 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 the pro and the con, the good and the bad together, but there's no time to do that. And so in two weeks, we'll talk about the positive side, and we'll talk about the reign of Christ on the earth from the positive side. But today, we're going to talk about it from the judgment of sin perspective. So, we start this diagram at the part on the one in your notes where it says the rapture of Christians. That day is the next day that is ahead for us. And then we have the tribulation. Oh, let's see. I really struggle with how to communicate this to you, and I hope you get it straight today, but we're going to start with the tribulation. In your notes, it says, it will remove the wicked from the earth. The day of the Lord is coming, and it will remove the wicked from the earth. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. He's not thinking of uh, the amana range you have in your kitchen. He's thinking like a big, uh, like we would call it a, a furnace or something like that. Burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. What happens to stubble when you put it in a hot oven, I mean a hot furnace? Well, the next phrase tells us, and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. What is the identity of the wicked? It is, what the identity of the wicked here is listed as two words, proud and wicked. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. One of the complaints these people had toward, the, toward God was they said, We call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. God says, Do you think the proud are going free? I tell you what, there's coming a day when they will be burned up. When we look at the word wicked here in chapter 4, we think, well, of course the wicked are, are going to be burned up. But what about the proud people? Why do proud people come under God's judgment? Proud people come under God's judgment because true saving faith, both then and now, 
requires an individual to admit they are a sinner who cannot save themselves. I knew a young man years ago who waited and waited and waited to get saved. He was grow, grew up in a Christian home. He was 15 years old when he accepted the Lord. He wanted to live his own life. He wanted to live his own life. You might be here in that shape today. If you are, put your name right there where it says proud. If you're a person who says, I don't want Jesus because I want to run my life, put your name right there. I hate to be rude. I hate to be mean. I hate to be harsh. But I'm going to be a little harsh today. You know why? Because if I could possibly scare you out of hell, I'd like to do it. When was the last time I preached about hell? We're all about giving people space in this country. Oh, it's your thing. Do your thing. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, if you're one of these proud people who says, I will not submit to Christ, someday you will be this person here who is consumed by his fire. Go back to the Exodus. Here's the children of Israel in, in, in captivity in Egypt. And Moses comes along and says, now there's a day coming when God is going to kill the firstborn of man and beast. And what you have to do to avoid that is you have to sacrifice a lamb, put the blood on your doorpost, be in that house, symbolically covered by that blood, eating this sacrifice um, according to all of these requirements. You do that and God will spare you. Do you suppose, have you ever thought about this? Do you suppose there were some people who said, Moses, come on. Really? I just don't think God would do that. Moses, I don't care what you say. I don't know who you think you are. Do you, do you, or do you think every single Jewish person said, Oh, absolutely, Moses. Well, of course there were some people who proudly said, Forget it. Friend, pride is only a virtue in the American society, not in God's kingdom. Humility is a virtue in God's kingdom. And he says we need to humble ourselves under, under God's truth. The same humility that is required in salvation is also required in the godly life for the believer. You can only grow in godliness as you submit to God's truth. The word Lord, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the word Lord means Master. These people were being asked to submit to God's lordship in the Old Testament. We are asked to submit to it in the person of Christ. So what is the impact on the world, on the wicked? He says they will be burned up. Now, I, I do want to clarify one thing, and I think you'll understand that as we get all the way to the end of this message. But when it says they're going to be burned up, that does not mean that the wicked are going to be zipped out of existence. There is a religion that teaches that. The Jehovah's Witnesses is one of them. I believe the Seventh-day Adventists do as well. They don't believe in hell. They believe in heaven, the new earth, and zip. And if you're an unbeliever, they think, yeah, God's going to burn you up. It's going to be over and done with. That's not what we're going to find out by the end of this message. The burning up that he's referring to is removal from the earth. But if you're an unbeliever, when you're removed from the earth, it does not get better. It gets worse. 
So he says the day of the Lord is coming. And the day of the Lord refers to everything from the rapture or after the rapture, we would say, from the beginning of the tribulation on until the new heavens and new earth. The day of the Lord is a broad time period. The tribulation is spoken of as the time of Jacob's trouble. It is the wrath of God on earth to punish unbelievers and to convert Jews. I'm going to read some scripture. We're going to read a lot of scripture today because, frankly, I can't say it any better than God did. And the scripture references are all in your notes. I hope you will take note of that and and, uh, look over these later. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in the everlasting righteousness, to make an end of sins, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's the same emphasis as Malachi. The wicked are going to be judged. The righteous are going to be blessed. He says, that's the purpose of what I'm telling you here. And to anoint the most holy. In other words, Jesus Christ is going to be formerly installed as the king. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's the time between Daniel and Jesus' coming. Messiah the prince, the first coming of Christ. The weeks are groups of seven years. The streets shall be built again, the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Once Jesus Christ is installed as king, there will never be a cutting off of Jesus as king again. And so this obviously is not talking about something that's already... uh, It's not talking about something in the future. It's talking about what happened already. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary... That's what happened in A.D. 70. The temple of the Jewish people has never been rebuilt. They have never reinstituted the worship of God. Do you know why that is? It's not because of their will. It's because of God's will. All the time that they were worshiping God in the tabernacle and the temple, right up until Jesus Christ died, God was in the temple worship. That was His will. But when Jesus died, it says the the veil of the Holy of Holies was torn in two from the top to the bottom. God no longer helps them maintain the temple. They want to rebuild it. Why hasn't it happened in 2,000 years? Because God's not in it. The city will be and the sanctuary destroyed. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then, now the thing that Daniel did not know about is this time frame in which we're living. God didn't tell Daniel about it. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, I'm telling you a mystery, something I've never told before about the rapture. So Daniel goes right on to talk about this tribulation time frame. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So I looked. Let's stop right there. The tribulation time, God says it's coming. And I know we're going to hurry through some of this today. The scripture is there and you can look at it at length. As Malachi has said that the Wicked are going to be burned up in this tribulation time. Look at one thing, one thing that's going to happen during the tribulation. So I looked and behold a pale horse and Clint Eastwood was not riding it. 
The imagery is taken from this for, for Clint Eastwood's movie, uh, Pale Rider, or whatever it was called there. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him, and Hades or the grave, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Can you imagine right now today if one-fourth of the people in the world died? Or even if one-fourth of the people in the world died over a period of, let's say, a month. In Malachi, he says, the day is coming and it is burning like an oven. And this is at the beginning. If you know the book of Revelation, you know that in chapter 4 and 5, as when he starts to talk about these judgments that are coming, this is, this is the beginning of tribulation. The tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, throughout that, there, there, is a, there are a set of, several sets of judgments. God is going to pour out His wrath on the earth. But there are two purposes, not one. One purpose is to do exactly what Malachi is talking about, to, to destroy the wicked. But the other purpose is to get the Jewish folks who have been so stubborn, so stubborn, that they rejected Jesus, and then God put blindness on them. Romans 9, 10, and 11 tells us. And at that time, God is going to let them see the truth, and there's going to be a tremendous revival among the Jewish people. And then the next big thing, if I could, and not to say that the rest of the tribulation isn't big, but the Battle of Armageddon. You've probably heard this, obviously. The movies have taken their name from this. It's not the end of the world. Okay, Armageddon is a place, Armageddon is a place in Jerusalem where there's all of the forces of the world are going to come together to try to fight against God and His people. Listen to what Daniel says about this time frame. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. He's talking about a world superpower that will come in that time. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. Another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall, shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, against God. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into His hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's half of the tribulation. But the court shall be seated and they shall take away His dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people, to the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem and Christ and all. Here it is. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet, their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. That's why God says this is a dreadful day. When you go to battle with God, don't expect Him to show up carrying an M16. God's just going to go... You know how God created the world? 
by the breath of his mouth. Out of nothing, he said, let it be. And when he says, let it not be. Malachi says in a summary form, all the proud and all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up. We go back to our diagram. That's the battle of Armageddon. That's how God's going to fight that last battle at the end of the tribulation. When every Satan is mustering his forces and trying with all his might to conquer and eradicate God's people and get rid of Jesus Christ, obviously he can't do it. At that time, at the end of the tribulation, there will be a judgment that we refer to as the sheep and goat judgment. In Matthew 24, one of the reasons I'm, I'm going through some of these details today is this. Matthew 24 contains some of the most misapplied and misused scripture in the Bible. You'll see as we go through here, you're going to see some things thinking, oh, I thought that was about us today. No, it's not about us today. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, <clears throat> the disciples came and said to him privately, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? That's not the rapture, folks. That is the second coming. When he comes to earth, when all these, these things in the day of the Lord happen, what will be the sign of your coming? The, the apostles didn't know anything about that rapture event. It wasn't revealed yet. Paul wrote it by God's inspiration later on, but at this point, they didn't know. So they're thinking second coming, the kingdom. They kept asking Jesus, if you notice, right up until the moment he left the earth, they said, now are you going to sit on the throne and establish the kingdom? That was all they were looking for. And he says, guys, not now. And here they're asking him, this is before that time, they're asking him, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Jesus answered, take heed that nobody deceives you. And I would say the same to you. <laughs> take heed, pay attention, be diligent, be studious, because people will try to deceive you. In 1988, there was a book written called 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Return in 88. And in, or was it 87? And then the next year, there was a new book by the same author, 89 Reasons Why the Lord's Going to Return in 89. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, not troubled by wars and rumors of wars. How many of you have heard this phrase quoted and said, oh, Jesus is about to come, about to come. And he says, don't be troubled by that. For all these things must come to pass, but the end, not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and and. See, now he's starting to talk about the end. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes, very places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Talking about the beginning of the tribulation. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. They will kill you. You will be hated for all nations for my name's sake. Many will be offended. They will betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will arise and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures till the end will be saved. I realize when we read this scripture, you're going, Pastor Dave, that sounds an awful lot like the days in which we're living. You are absolutely correct. Just as what happened in A.D. 70 to Jerusalem sounds a lot like what God predicted was going to happen later on. Just like, just like, just like. God seems to give us shadowy illustrations of what's coming. 
Yeah, we're living in some terrible days. But the nature of the days in which we're living hasn't changed since Jesus left the earth. Can you tell me a period in which there was peace in the world? <laughs> Can you tell me a period in which there weren't earthquakes? In which there weren't famines? Somewhere in the world, this stuff has always been going on since Jesus left the earth. And it's going to keep going on. But this is talking about the tribulation time. Are you going to get saved in the tribulation just by hanging on by the skin of your teeth? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is it's going to be so hard that if you do not have true faith, you will give up. Only those with true faith will endure, and they will be saved one way or the other. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. Then the end will come. How many of you have been hearing people teach about that in recent days? We're going to get this gospel out to the whole kingdom. Then the Lord's going to come, or the Lord will be able to come when we finally accomplish that. Now, let me just say, we should be trying to get the gospel into every corner of the world. Um, Timber Brinkley worked with gospel recordings. They said there are 10,000 languages in the world. That they have the gospel on tape in 5,000 or whatever it is, and they're, they're aiming for 10,000. Amen, let's do it. But will Jesus return when we get that task done? Nope. Because this is talking about the tribulation. During the tribulation, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached, and Jewish people especially will be saved in droves. And some Gentiles too, by God's grace. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation of spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. You go back to Daniel and you find out the Antichrist is going to set up an idolatrous image in the temple of God. And he says, when you see that happen, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is in the house up and not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world or until this time, no, nor ever shall be. He says, there's going to be the beginning of sorrows and then this great time of tribulation that you cannot imagine. When we read the book of Revelation, we start to be able to imagine it. But he says, nothing like this has ever happened. That's part of the reason. When I hear people say, oh yes, uh, AD 70, you know, the city was destroyed and, and now we're in the kingdom, I'm going, wait a minute. I haven't seen anything that looks worse, that looks so bad like this. And unless those days were shortened, there would be, excuse me, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, for those who God has chosen for salvation, those days will be shortened. Then if anybody says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, don't believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go look. When I read that stuff in the paper... When you read that stuff in the paper, you say, the musings of foolish men who haven't studied their Bible enough. Folks, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to know when he comes. <laughs> Not going to be any surprise to you. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see 
the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect, those true believers from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. We skip down some of the passages, but of that day and of that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven. One other place Jesus said, not the Son, only the Father. But as the days of Noah were so, and were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. This taking away is taking away in judgment. We'll look at that just a little bit more in a minute. This is not talking about the rapture, folks. This is talking about the end of the tribulation. When God comes along and he goes, there's the righteous, bring them with me, send the unrighteous away. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's talking about the end of the tribulation times. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. Now, he's not saying that sheep are inherently good and goats are inherently bad, although, you know, goats are not as nice as sheep. But that's not what he's saying. He's just saying sheep and goats, just a common division illustration. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is the promise to Jewish believers in particular. We're not promised the kingdom. We're promised heaven. We're promised in person with Christ. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison or come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say, in as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Is it good to be hospitable to Christians today? Absolutely. Is this promise about today? No, it is not. The tribulation times will be so terrible and so hard will be the oppression against Christians that anybody who comes along and helps a Christian will have to be a believer or they wouldn't do it. He says, if you help out my children, I'm going to take care of you. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in naked. You did not clothe me sick and in prison. You did not visit me. And they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked, sick or in prison and not minister to you? He will say to them, Assuredly, as I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. At the end of the tribulation, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I'm going to skip over this. 
and go to right there. I would encourage you to read those scriptures. The sheep and the goat judgment will be a time at the end of the tribulation when God looks at all of the people who have physically survived the tribulation. And there they are. And he will separate them into unbelievers going away into hell and believers coming with him physically alive into the kingdom, the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. That sheep and goat judgment, if, again, we're looking at the wrath that God's going to unleash on the unbelievers. We have the wrath during the tribulation, and then we have the battle of Armageddon, and then we have the, if we would just call it the goat judgment, where God sends those who survive the tribulation. Can you imagine all of the physical torment you're going to go through, and you finally make it through to the end of the tribulation, and God says, go to hell. That's a harsh reality, isn't it? That's an awful harsh reality. What's going to happen after that? Well, just briefly, we'll look at this more in a couple of weeks. What's going to happen during the millennium? Total repression of sin. Jesus is going to rule with an iron hand. You know what that means? No sin allowed. No sin allowed. The people who enter the kingdom will all be believers coming out of the tribulation, but they're going to give birth to children. And sadly, some of those people are not going to become believers in Jesus Christ. Over a thousand years, people can have a lot of generations. There can be a lot of children born. And those people are going to try to sin from time to time. And what's Jesus going to do? Boom! Total repression. Immediate judgment of sin. Satan is going to be chained in hell during this whole time. He will not be influencing the world. And so instead of today, where us righteous people push and push on the unrighteous society and say, don't kill babies before they're born, and, and, and only a man should marry a woman, and, and, and all these other things we're pushing on the society, and the society, like the proverbial 500-pound gorilla, just says, forget it. In the, trib- in the millennium, it's going to be backwards from that. Or I should say it'll be the right way, which is the righteous under the rule of Christ saying, no sin, no sin, no sin. And it will be a completely righteous society. But those people will not be completely righteous. And so at the end of this time, and we'll read the scripture in a minute, which says God is going to let Satan loose from his chains one more time. And he is going to come up and infuse all of those people alive at that time with his thought processes, his beliefs, his ideas, and they are going to rebel against Christ. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that would be Jerusalem, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This is going to be a short battle, friends. God made them dissolve at the end of the the tribulation time. Here we are at the end of the millennium. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever. After all this time, these people were going to go, great, finally, I'm good. I am so tired of being good all the time. 
See, you and I look around and we think, man, wouldn't it be great if righteousness ruled the day in our country and there are a whole bunch of people and some of them live right next to you who are going, I don't want no more of that Christian stuff. And if they get into this situation where they are repressed, they will explode with rage when given the opportunity and at that time Christ is going to go, done. And that will be the last battle with evil. That will be the last time when this verse comes true. That day which is coming will burn them up. There will be neither root nor branch left. And after this event happens, we have an event called the Great White Throne Judgment of unbelievers. All unbelievers at this judgment. No, this is nothing for believers. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. In other words, his, he, they were in the presence of God, and they're trying to run away and find a place to hide from the presence of God. And so there was no place found for them to hide from the presence of God. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. The death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The second death. When is the first death? That's when people die off in a normal way from this planet, as in... They grow up, they grow old, the Lord hasn't come back yet, they die and their body goes in the ground, their spirit is in punishment, and at the end, at the great white throne, God is going to resurrect their body, reunite it with their spirit, and send them to hell. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I listed some things here. We won't look at all the scripture. These are the characteristics of hell. Weeping and wailing. Gnashing of teeth. The worm doesn't die. The fire isn't quenched. And there is outer darkness. God gave Malachi the summary. He says, look, there's a day coming and the wicked are going to be burned up off of this planet. All of those things that I have shared with you today are what is ahead for the wicked. If the Lord would come tomorrow, and Lord willing, all of us here would be taken, but I'm not so foolish as to believe that every single person here is a true believer in Christ. Some of you would show up next week for church and be disappointed. And all of these things would start to happen. If you were alive until that beginning of the tribulation, you would go through these terrible travails. And if you made it alive through the tribulation, you would be judged and sent to hell at that point. If you were born during the millennium and you choose not to believe in Christ, you will be judged at the end and sent to hell. Everybody who has never believed in Christ as their Savior will be resurrected and finally judged at that great white throne judgment. Sue went to the dentist for a filling this week. She came home doing the Kramer. So I'm numb all the way to my eyeball. Don't you love it when the dentist says, this is going to pinch a little bit. 
this is going to pinch a little bit. And then he puts a needle halfway to the back of your skull. And you're going, it's pinching. I hope today's message has pinched you a little bit. It's pinched me a little bit. It's, it's pretty easy to come to church and have fun. We recognize the graduates and, uh, you know, praise God we raised 1300 bucks for the youth group and uh, uh, Rob built us a beautiful new pulpit and we sing some songs and Pastor Dave tells a sermon, gives us a couple of jokes so we don't fall asleep too much. Everything's real great and warm and fuzzy. But there's a real serious element to what we're doing here, folks. And, and I just want to share some scripture verses with you. The references are in your notes. I hope you'll think about them later. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you are not ready to go through this travail. You are not up to the task. No matter how strong you think you are. And Jesus says you don't have to. You can go to heaven. You can, you, can, you can go with Him. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Examine yourselves. Examine yourself. It's not up to me. I don't know your heart, friends. When Ben Bender sent me an email and said, when I come home from break at seminary, I want to get baptized. And I, I emailed him back. I said, haven't you already been baptized? He said, yeah, but I wasn't a Christian. And it was really during college. You heard him give his testimony a few weeks ago if you were here. He said, it was really during college when I truly came to faith in Christ. I would have thought he was a Christian. Seemed like a nice guy, lived a good life, going to seminary. He says, well, I've just accepted the Lord in the last few years, and now I want to really be baptized the right way for the Lord. Hey, friend... I don't know what more I can say than to say, don't go through this. Don't go through hell. Because you, you, you will wish you had not done so. Examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? When you look down in your heart, is Jesus there? If He is, you're ready. If He's not, or if there's a shadow of a doubt, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Christian, are you ready for your friends and loved ones to feel the pinch of that day, of those days? Therefore, first of all, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants people to be saved. And so what does he say first of all to do? What's he say? Say the word. What's he say for us to do to get people saved? Pray. Do you know why our Wednesday night's important? Because you need to be here praying for your unsafe friends and loved ones. And if you're too scared to pray out loud, that's fine. You give me a note and I'll pray out loud. We need to be praying for people. 
We need to be praying that people will have their eyes open. We need to be praying that we will be bold to witness to them. We need to be praying because God says that is the first thing that should be happening in the church so that people would accept Christ as their Savior. And then 2 Corinthians 5.11, the Apostle Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We twist arms. I hope I'm twisting your arm today if you're an unbeliever. I hope you feel like I worked you over. Because I don't want you to go to hell happy. And I certainly don't want you to go to hell ignorant of the truth. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be pleasing to the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is for Christians, that we may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Christian, you're going to stand there and God's going to reward you. He's not going to punish you. But he's given you the opportunity to earn a reward. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, I know that I have not been as outspoken for you as I should be. And I pray that you will help me to see those opportunities and to take them. Help me to make those opportunities. Help me to want to bring some people to heaven with me. Father, if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ, put your hand heavy on them today. Don't let them escape these terrible truths about tribulation and hell. Don't let them get away from it in any way, Father, until they make their peace with you through faith in Christ. And Father, don't let us Christians go away and say, well, that was a good sermon or that was a hard sermon or whatever. Help us to go away saying, God, make your truth live in my life. Help me to reach some people for you. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Let's take our hymn books, please, and turn to number 493. Heavenly Father, May it be so. May it be well with the souls of all of these fine folks. But if it's not so, Father, help that change to happen today. Help that belief to happen today. Help that repentance from pride to happen today. May this be the day of salvation, Father. Before I close in prayer, I just want to say that I'm not going to stand at the back and shake hands today. I'm going to stand right down here in the front. And if God has prodded your heart and you say, I have got to get this right today, you come down here and talk to me. And we'll sit right down and we'll pray and we'll open God's word and help you know for certain that you're going to escape these dreadful days ahead. Heavenly Father, do your work among us today. Thank you that we can recognize those who are graduating. May they be blessed and encouraged by our uh, encouragement today. May you be lifted up by the changes that take place in our lives because of your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.